0: I'm Thanasi Kambanis, director of Century International, and you're listening to Order from Ashes. Today, we have a great episode with two researchers who have done an amazing deep dive into exactly how Lebanon's IMF economic rescue package has gone awry, who sabotaged it, why, what's at stake, and what, if anything, can Lebanese people who are suffering the consequences of these failures do to change the course of of their very unfortunate lot over the last couple of years. So today I'm joined by Sami Zureb, who is an economist and the research manager at the Policy Initiative, which is one of the best think tanks in Lebanon, and Sam Heller, uh, our own fellow here at Century International. The two of them, the, two, the, the, the Sam and Sammy, have teamed up on what I think is a kind of bombshell uh, piece of research. We're publishing it as a joint report with the Policy Initiative uh, this month. And what it does is it tells the story of exactly what happened uh or what is happening behind the scenes under the hood in the negotiations between Lebanon and the IMF and exactly why this is so important and kind of who done it who's guilty and why it matters uh so sam and sammy uh thank you so much for coming on the podcast welcome to order from
1: ashes thank you tanasi you make uh, it's a pleasure to be with you today yeah thanks great to be here
0: sammy Start off by telling us exactly where we are right now in the uh, sort of economic catastrophe and, and human uh, misery geography of Lebanon today, uh, and what is uh, uh, the, the the role of an IMF uh, plan supposed to be in addressing this crisis?
1: Yeah, well, uh, the situation is Lebanon is really qualified as one of the worst financial and economic catastrophes that the world has really seen since uh, we've been structuring economies and and this modern structure that we live in. And so, uh, as you can expect, uh, our our currency is pretty much, uh, the Lebanese pound is pretty much worthless, lost 99% of its value. Uh, as such, the economy has completely been dollarized, knowing that uh, the, the people and people's access to dollars is very scarce and sparse. Um, so that uh, has essentially led to an explosion in vulnerabilities. People um, on every single metric, uh, from poverty to inequality, to access to public services uh, and essential services like healthcare care and, and education, uh, have been have been completely uh, exacerbated by by the current situation. So just to run through some of the numbers, um, the Lebanese economy has essentially shrunk uh, to right about uh, twenty billion dollars today. That's down from fifty five billion dollars pre- prior to the crisis. Uh, we know that, and, and, uh, and isn't
0: that one of the largest contractions or the most dramatic contractions in an economy in the last hundred and fifty years worldwide?
1: it certainly could be uh, the 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 sharpest uh, contraction that we've that we've seen uh, really uh uh, and uh, also, the, the 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 macroeconomic shock is impacting people's lived realities, and here we have more than half of the population, by, by the most modest of estimates, living in some form of poverty today. Uh, the ESQA, for example, uh, estimates that around 82 percent of the population lives in multi poverty. The WFP estimates that around half of the population is uh, uh, living in non-monetary poverty. Uh, so we're quite we're living really in a quite a challenging environment on every single metric, uh, and, and this can only be described as one of the most major catastrophes that we have really seen.
0: So people are suffering. Life is really uh, as as we we know anecdotally from all kinds of reports almost unlivable from lack of healthcare access to to difficulty getting protein in people's diets. I mean, everything is affected. So where does, uh, the international monetary fund come in? What's, what's so important about the talks over this, uh, this IMF
1: plan? really this, uh, this sense of uh, economic despair uh, stems really from from a from a shock sustained by Lebanon's financial uh, system uh, and Lebanon's financial system not to really go into the details but the essential the essential idea is that uh, most of the money that people deposited in the uh, banking sector was then lent to the central bank here in Lebanon the Banque du Liban which was then later to used to uh, defend the, the uh, an unsustainable peg of the Lebanese pound so essentially and 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 the banking sector by lending this money to uh, the, the central bank has essentially was making very large profits and with it were the larger depositors who were making a pretty good uh, 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 buck out of the uh, out of this uh, process um, this has led to uh, Lebanon having some levels of indebtedness uh, sovereign indebtedness that are b- probably unforeseen uh, prior to uh, to today uh, one one of the uh, numbers that is most shocking for me for example is that you know the losses that have been estimated by the IMF uh, that have that exist in the in the in the in the financial sector and most more specifically in the balance sheet of the of the central bank is about 70 billion dollars, that is around more than three times the size of the economy. So essentially, this is a problem of of debt. This is a problem of financial mismanagement, uh, fiscal mismanagement, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So naturally, the country requires very hard structural, deep economic reforms that can set it back on a path of sustainability, both in terms of its debt, but also in terms of its growth model. And while this could be achieved uh, through a responsible uh, government, uh, the IMF is certainly a natural partner in these instances because the IMF not only brings with it the conditionality element uh, and that incentivizes discipline and incentivizes the government to then uh, commit and uh, to to the reforms that that should be taken but it also offers technical assistance which is very important because it's uh, you know, uh, th- this is these are very serious challenges that require uh, a lot of knowledge, uh, and the IMF certainly has in its capacity some inf- a lot of experience for other countries on how to handle challenges like Lebanon sustaining today, and also on the third. Uh, a level and uh, for me the least important would be that the IMF would then unlock uh, uh, you know a, a certain liquidity package that it could give Lebanon in, as a loan and with it uh, which it would sit at around 3 billion dollars and with it uh, uh, extra finance financing from other donors such as other governments or or, or other international financial um, institutions uh, or international uh, uh, NGOs so uh, this would really help Lebanon put be put back on a on a track that uh, could lead it again to grow and put uh, pull it out of the current spiral of death that it's in
0: okay so as I, as i understand you said here and 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 i read in your work uh, lebanon as a as a as a state and the lebanese people as people who are trying to to survive are are they really only their, their only viable hope of getting out of this miserable situation they're in is the pressure, know-how, and money that would come with an IMF uh, uh, package. And I understand you don't like the word bailout. Uh, that's the word you know, as a 50-year-old who's seen, you know, many cycles of these kinds of plans coming in uh, to different uh, different countries, including uh, the, the first place I covered one of these, which was Greece in the 90s, uh, is uh, uh, we always called them bailouts, but I'll, I'll defer to, to whatever uh, uh, economic sophistication makes us not want to use that term. Uh, and so I want to turn to Sam, uh, and ask you to explain to us uh, what is the setup of these negotiations like how, so so here we are Sammy has explained why this is so critically important this IMF package needs to happen or else Lebanese people suffer there's no chance of, of making any of the needed reforms and there's no access to the to the money needed to. Uh, Bailout, excuse me, uh, uh, sort of help the country recover from the irresponsibility of its uh, banks and elites. Uh, so what is the structure of these negotiations and why has that actual structure of negotiations led to problems of its own?
2: Well, I mean, first, I think it's important to add that, I mean, in addition to the importance uh, of Lebanon uh, entering into an IMF program, to note that the uh, I mean, as it stands, uh, Lebanon is not going to get an IMF program, right because lebanon uh, it reached a, a preliminary uh, what's called a staff level agreement with the IMF in April of last year. Um, now that would pave the way for a full agreement and entrance into an IMF program, uh, but only subject to uh, uh, to the implementation of like roughly 10, depending on how you count them, uh, structural reforms beforehand called prior actions. And then uh, in the more than a year since, uh, Lebanon has accomplished uh, almost none. Again, it depends who you ask, uh, but then I think that the count is somewhere between one and three of these prior actions have been accomplished. Um, so the question then, and I think what we were trying to answer, uh, in the course of this, uh, of doing this research, uh, was, uh, why, right? I mean, like, why hasn't this worked properly?
0: Right. Why is a country that's suffering a huge emergency and would from, from, uh, at first blush, you'd assume this country really wants this package to come. They want these negotiations to work out because otherwise uh uh they're you know the country's gonna fail. Uh so that's the sort of starting point of a of an observer. Uh so what do you find uh what do you find that helps us understand why in fact uh maybe uh they're less interested or some parts of the country are less interested in having these negotiations work out than than we would assume or we, than we might assume.
2: Well so it turns out I mean that the you know I mean that the main problem the base problem here is just a lack of will uh, and interest among the country's political elites or this sort of merged political financial elite, uh, you know, that sits atop the country, um, who evidently, uh, I mean, much as they might, uh, press like profess their commitment, uh, to, uh, to achieving an IMF program, uh, are evidently, uh, not that pressed, Right. They, they very clearly do not feel a uh, substantial urgency uh, to uh, to accomplish this. And then, so that uh, it manifests in, I think, what we identified as, as kind of two main dysfunctions. Um, and then one of them relates to the way that Lebanon's IMF talks are organized. Um, the issue here uh, is that uh so these talks, uh, they are based uh, primarily on engagement between the IMF and Lebanon's official negotiating team, headed by Deputy Prime Minister Saad al-Shami. Uh, now, this team, on paper, includes uh, a number of key economic policymakers. Uh, but in practice, it uh, seems like it is, it's basically just Shami he's on his own uh i mean i think you know people who deal with him say that he's he's you know doing his best right and he gets generally uh positive reviews for his uh, seriousness his competence um but he's kind of on an island and it means that you know that he uh he agreed with the imf on uh on an economic recovery uh plan and, uh, a staff level agreement on that basis, uh, and has, you know, worked with them to formulate, uh, kind of in, um, essential, uh, reform legislation, uh, that do not have, uh, the buy-in of, uh, Lebanon's elites who are, um, you know, who are not, uh, let's see, who are not invested in, uh, a recovery plan that, uh, many of them call, uh, the side the Shammy plan, uh, who are not motivated to execute prior reforms and then who are hostile, uh, to reforms that would, uh, you know, that would menace, uh, some of their, their real material
0: interests. So essentially this deputy PM who's in charge of the negotiations, does not actually have the power to speak for the government. And in fact, a lot of the powerful constituencies in the government and in the economy oppose, oppose the very reforms that he's uh, supposedly trying to negotiate to implement. So structurally, he's set up to fail, as I understand it from your work, because he's, he's working in good faith, presumably with these IMF experts to detail the Top ten things or or more that that Lebanon needs in order to to recover economically, but actually the people who hold decision making power inside Lebanon's political structure or or sort of parallel power structure don't want any of these things, uh, any of these reforms to be implemented because those reforms would take away their very livelihoods and, and rentier sources of, of profit.
2: Yeah, basically. I mean, now we should note that I think that the, I mean, the IMF. It seems like they've You know they've recognized uh some of the issue here and then they've attempted to adapt to the way that lebanon's politics are set up um so the imf uh their um their mandate is to deal with with national authorities in most countries authorities are uh executive agencies in lebanon they've defined uh that much more broadly Right. So uh, they've also uh, they've defined it to include um, uh, heads of key parliamentary committees. Uh, And then more recently, and what is actually, you know, one of the the few uh, reasons for optimism, I think. um, They've had a uh, kind of a running dialogue with a cross party group of parliamentarians uh, to whom they've been able to convey uh, directly. Um, you know, some of their expectations, their requirements for any, uh, uh, reform legislation. But, you know, I mean, the Lebanese, uh, political system is fragmented. Uh, it is, um, unwieldy or unwieldy. Um, it is, uh, it's, it's loaded with, uh, veto players. And then there are, you know, pretty clearly, uh, essential decision makers, um, in the system, that are, uh, you know, that say that they want an IMF program, um, but that really don't.
0: We're talking with Sam Heller and Sam Uzureyeb about their research into Lebanon's IMF negotiations and the uh, apparent sabotage of those negotiations by Lebanon's political elite and what the consequences are of that are. I'm Thanasi Kambanis. This is Order from Ashes, Century International's Uh, podcast. We'll be right back after this break.
2: Today's world is changing faster than ever. Old rules don't apply, and the new rules haven't been written. At least not yet. I'm Rohan Advani, and I produce the Order from Ashes podcast at the Century Foundation, a leading progressive think tank that promotes peace, cooperation, and equality at home and abroad. On Order from Ashes we try to make sense of a new international system in which America no longer dictates the global order. Join us as we talk to activists and analysts on the front lines of the most pressing issues in international policy.
0: Welcome back. I'm Thanasi Kambanis, and I'm talking today with Sami Zureb and Sam Heller about Lebanon's economic uh, collapse and the IMF talks uh, that appear to have been stalled maybe to death uh, by Lebanon's elites. Uh, And uh, before the break, we were talking about the structure of these negotiations, which really reflects Lebanon's political dysfunction, the way in which a sort of uh, uh, coterie or oligarchy of, of vested interests and uh, zuama, warlords, bosses, however you want to translate that, um, really make the decisions uh, and not necessarily the officials at the top of the government, like the prime minister and the deputy prime minister. Uh, and now I want to turn to you, Sammy, to actually talk to us a little bit about some of the substance of these reforms that aren't going to happen. So, uh, a year ago, the staff level agreement roughly a year ago was reached. Uh, since then, these negotiations have been put in the deep freeze. Um, I want you to, if you can, sort of quickly tell us what are the proposed reforms that this elite is resisting so hard? Um, and then I want to ask you what kinds of dirty tricks or other uh, strategies the, this elite has used to try and uh, kill the negotiations.
1: Uh yeah, thank you. I, I think uh, the 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 Lebanese political class is really allergic to any kind of reform, not these reforms in particular. And we know that because we see a dismal performance of Lebanon's uh, political class with any reforms project going back thirty years. Um, so, but but today, I think there's larger things at stake that push us to really think that. You know, the, the 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 moving forward with these reforms will be highly unlikely. Uh, you know, one of the obvious ones, uh, and not to really go into a list of any sorts, would be a banking restructuring act. Uh, and this uh, it really is, you know, at the essence of the Lebanese uh, economic crisis because this uh, banking restructuring act is essentially a formula by which you define who uh, would be bearing the brunt of the incredible losses that have been uh, uh, sustained in the financial sector. We know that ha- this, this ha- has been uh, b- uh, uh, borne uh, by the Lebanese uh, population at large through inflation and through the fact that Lebanese people do not have access to their deposits and that they have to withdraw their deposits at a very you know at you know one, one dollar uh, one, one cent to the dollar, etc in terms of real value, and now this Banking Restructuring Act has to really materialize in some way. And the IMF has a very hard stance on how banks in Lebanon can be restructured and how these financial losses should be distributed. Uh, The the essential idea and principle behind this would be one uh, that says, that the uh you know that private losses should not be sustained by public assets and i think this is one of the main key uh, uh schism points that exist. the lebanese political class or at least much of it are really pushing towards this idea of having of covering these losses these losses through the use of lebanese public assets they're so
0: so they're socializing private irresponsibility and uh, i know i know you're you're more delicate and you don't like to put it this way and and that's great but what I, what I conclude from, from this work is um, that the political elite is intertwined with these banks. They either own them directly and in any case are profiting from them and they just don't want to lose a dollar. So the they, they, they drove the country into catastrophe and they have found a way so far successfully to displace any of those losses onto poor schmoes, uh, poor people, middle-class people, unconnected people. And meanwhile, the actual... Uh, wealthy and, and connected people uh, who had uh, dollar assets or even Lebanese lira assets, they aren't suffering. They, they got to protect their money. They got to move it abroad in time or they get to still withdraw it while people like you and, uh, and your colleagues are the ones who lose 99% of your life savings as a result of something that was not your fault.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think this really pushes me into maybe like adding to what Sam's was saying regarding the, the attitude that the political class has with these negotiations is that, you know, for me, it really transcends passive nonchalance and goes into an area of, of active malignancy in which this political class is really pushing forward to protect its interests, which are very much, you know, elite capitalist interests if we can if one can say at the expense of society uh, and at the expense of really the future of this country as we know it
0: and now get into this thing you doc you you two documented in, in and it's kind of chilling the uh the narrative and and sort of uh uh political the, the political narrative that the banks and the elite have put forward in order to one, sabotage these talks, and two, try and present uh, an IMF deal as somehow unnecessary or um, an infringement on Lebanese sovereignty or, or whatever it is that, that they're trying to peddle as uh, the justification uh, for scuttling uh, what, what you two describe as, as Lebanon's best chance for, for salvaging itself.
1: Yeah, I think uh, uh, the, uh, the 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 main issue is is that, you know, a lot of people come to Lebanon and they say, okay, if, if this happened anywhere else in the world, people would be on the street, people would be protesting. Things would not be as peaceful as things for, are perceived to be today in Lebanon. And let me tell you, things are peaceful in Lebanon. But at the end of the day... The political class and the banks, which are, you know, one unit at the end of the day, uh, have a third arm. uh, And that arm is really uh, the Lebanese uh, media and their control over public discourse in the country. They have a monopoly over public discourse. And through this public discourse, they have been able to weaponize narratives that to push people to think that uh, uh, one, to give them toxic hope. Around the the fate of the deposits, I know that a lot of people in Lebanon now who have sustained losses, who have essentially, you know, lost their money in the banking sector, still believe that there is a small chance that some someone, some Saudi prince, will come forward and will give money to the Lebanese government, and they will get their deposits back.
0: Hope springs back. eternal, but the wrong kind.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, so I think this this th- these narratives have been very very dangerous, and maybe maybe I will allow Sam to go maybe through them one by one. But I think one that I would like to dwell on a bit is the issue that you know you hear it everywhere, and you hear it even in the most senior um, you know uh, uh, circles in the country. That you know the country has uh, reached an equilibrium, and that the country is growing. And we've heard this being said by our very prime minister, who said that the Lebanese economy is growing. And last week we heard it from a central bank government governor who said that he is being prosecuted in France, not because. The, the, of the fact that he he embezzled money from the B- 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 central bank, but because there are p- political entities that are angry at him because he has been able to spur growth and stabilize the lira at one hundred thousand Lebanese pounds a dollar. These are literally things that have beings are being said, and these are things that some people are be uh, are be, be being driven to to uh, to believe. And I think this idea of equilibrium is one that creates a sort of schism with uh, ha- requiring accountability for the past and saying and then says okay let's let's clean up the state the slate and and uh, what happened happened let now let's now think how we can move forward and i think this is the most deeply troubling part or narrative that is now to be honest for me might actually be controlling the overall rhetoric in the country
0: right so the, so they're successfully Uh, you know, to to a population that's like living in the rubble of their uh, needlessly shattered economy. They're saying, hey, actually, things are going great. We're growing again. And the world doesn't like us because we were such cowboys that we managed to defy like their Western consensus to make us do X, Y, and Z. Um, So even though that's BS, uh, that gives them potentially enough political cover to get away with what is essentially a a major crime that, that was perpetrated by by the elite against the Lebanese public uh, and its bank deposits. Um, so, Sam, uh, Sam Heller, I, I, we have. There's, there's so much detail in your work, um, and we're going to have to s- skate over some of that uh, in order to get in and out of this podcast anywhere close to half an hour. Uh, so, Sam Heller, I want to turn to you uh, uh, and skip ahead to the the idea of this shadow plan, uh, which is. Um, what happens, um, if as the elite seems to intend, uh, if, uh, there isn't an IMF package and, uh, things muddle forward the way they have been over the last, uh, year uh, plus, uh, since, um, the terms of reform were announced and then, uh, essentially scuttled. So what's, what's the default, uh, in the, in the absence of, uh, of an IMF, uh, program
2: yeah i mean that's the thing so it's not uh like the shadow plan i mean which you know it's a term that other people have come up with and then we you know we thought it was uh uh evocative um but it's not an if right i mean like it's what's happening uh it's what's been happening uh basically since the outset of uh of lebanon's crisis in 2019 and uh what it means, I mean, so it's premised centrally on, uh, Lebanon's commercial banks cleaning up their balance sheets, uh, by, uh, discharging their, uh, their foreign currency liabilities, the, uh, the deposits of ordinary Lebanese, um, you you, you write
0: off people's life savings in order to clear off your balance sheet.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, but in the meantime, right. I mean, so that is, That's a big part of it, which I guess apparently can, you know, people say that eventually that can achieve some, you know, some, some balance on their ledgers. Um, but then in the meantime, you know, the country's, uh, its economy, uh, stays unproductive. Um, it's increasingly a cash economy, uh, which, uh, you know, which fosters, uh, tax evasion, um, illicit activity, um, much of the state uh, withers away. I think we're already seeing, you know, that kind of key institutions of the state, including institutions that are are really important to, uh, you know, to executing on an IMF program uh, and then achieving some eventual recovery, like the Ministry of Finance, um, you know, that these, uh, the institutions are being, uh, are just sort of Fading away, right? They're atrophying or they're being, you know, starved.
0: Th- these are all trends that are terrible for governance and terrible for the lived experience of Lebanese people, uh, but maybe are excellent outcomes for uh, folks who run uh, unaccountable uh, smuggling rings and embezzlement and extortion rackets, uh, which are the bread and butter of the Lebanese political elite. So there, there is a real divergence of interests between the people, most people who live in Lebanon and the tiny community of folks who have unaccountably ruled uh, over them since uh, since the Civil War.
2: Well, I think that, you know, I mean, I don't, I mean my sense would be that less that uh, the country's ruling elite stands to benefit substantially from this and then more that they're just like, to a large extent, uh, insulated, unaffected. Um, you know, because their their interests uh, lie elsewhere, right? I mean, they are not uh, they they don't they don't line up with uh, the interests of the broader Lebanese public, and then so they are they continue to live uh, relatively comfortably. Um, and then so that's you know that's another big part of uh, of the shadow plan of like where the country is heading is that this uh, this growing chasm between, uh, an elite, uh, I've heard it called a dollar class, uh, you know, people who have the resources, uh, to survive, to thrive, uh, and then a majority of the country that just sinks deeper into, uh, into poverty, uh, that is further marginalized and that is sustained to a large extent by, uh, by aid and by, uh, remittances from abroad, from the country's now growing diaspora because people, you know, can't live in it. And so they're leaving, um, which, you know, for, I think, uh, for a lot of the people who are in charge, I think that seems like it's an outcome that is, uh, you know, that is acceptable.
0: So I want to end this conversation by turning back to you, uh, Sam Israib, uh, to address this question of what. Can be done. What people can do, um, and and I do just want to want to flag what what I think is so important and uh, and new about the work you two have done here is. Uh, you know, when we look at when we look at what's happened in Lebanon since the revolution and the and the economic uh, collapse, it's it's easy to get distracted by the sort of circus like atmosphere of the different corrupt officials and the and the many twists and turns of these things, and to think like, well, you know, it's a mess. And it's sort of just, it like, it just happened like a meteor landing on, on, on the earth and, and creating a, a new weather pattern. But in fact, it is not, you know, it's not a natural disaster. It is not an accident. It is not a chaotic circus. It is a series of intentional, uh, uh, bad choices made by, by people, uh, who, you, you two have taken the, the the pains to chart in great detail in the report that, that, that you've published. Uh, so we can see that this is not, uh, not you know, neither vague nor chaotic uh, nor a disaster. It is a intentional... Uh, set of, of decisions made by people who are working quite hard uh, to try and de- uh, deflect responsibility and, and escape from the blame. And I just, I think that is such an important contribution to our understanding this, this crisis, because one, it, it makes us see how it happened. Two, it at least opens the door to imagining uh, uh, possible remediations, right? So that, that if we understand this is a series of of choices uh, and actions by identifiable people and figures, public figures with public responsibilities, we can at least imagine how how it could come to pass that those people are held accountable and and their mistakes are remediated. So uh, uh, that said, uh, to you, Sam, to uh, close us off with uh, with your findings about what. Can be done. Uh,
1: yeah, thank you for for the great remarks. Uh, I I think really uh, uh, what what can be done. You know what we're trying to do with this paper is 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 essentially one one of the core arguments that we make in regards to what should be done and can be done moving forward. This this paper really, as you as you're saying, is trying to communicate uh, to people uh, the reality of what is happening and how it's happening in order for people to be able to decide and claim agency and people are free to do with this information what they want and I thought I think here it takes us to the like essential theme of communication which is a burden on the IMF uh, uh, in, uh, one of one of the burdens of the IMF its engagement in Lebanon is to be able to communicate more publicly more more courageously, uh, more boldly, with the Lebanese public, and tell them exactly how things are going and why they are going in the way that they are. And this, so, this is one of the one of the things that we 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 recommend. And the the other thing is. That the Lebanese uh, uh, civil society actors in Lebanon, uh, like TPI, like uh, other institutions uh, in Lebanon, like even the Century Foundation, uh, Century International, uh, and many other actors that exist in this country who are really uh, uh, going forward towards the good of Lebanon, to them, they themselves uh, keep on equipping people with the necessary information about what is going on and center people as their main interlocutor because it's only people that can really push things forward and fight back against what what, what has been uh, be, what is being practiced against them. Uh, on another theme, uh, you know, I think that uh, we touched upon the issue of the Lebanese bureaucracy and the, the fact that the Lebanese bureaucracy has uh, all but uh, but collapsed due to the crisis and naturally without a bureaucracy you know little can really be done in order to push forward any kind of reform program because you do for for any policy to take shape you do, you do need the institutions behind it to do it and and uh, in this in this view uh, uh, it's important that assistance be channeled towards expanding and resuscitating the Lebanese administration and equipping it with the necessary uh, tools to fight back against its own occupiers because the problem here is not the state the pro- problem here is the elite who have co-opted the state. And so this form of resistance is one that should really be uh, focused on and, and emphasized. Another thing, is the issue that you know uh, uh, of accountability, and here, were the, the latest developments that have taken place regarding the uh, court cases against Lebanese financial elite and political elite are really important. The fact that Governor Salemi now is an f- international fugitive is something that only puts pressure on the Lebanese political class and show them that you know they can they can uh, they, they can run, but but really like there is no way to hide moving forward because they have been exposed and things are well. Known and and be it done by international uh, or or uh, you know international courts or done here in Lebanon and with an equipped judiciary. And might I remind you that a lot of cases were opened here in Lebanon by judges that they then were stopped by the political class. This is very important. Accountability should be the core approach by which we get out of the crisis. We should not clean off the slate and then say, okay. Let's let's see what we can do now. No, we sh- someone should pay for what has been done. Uh, lastly, I think you know uh, consultations uh, with, of the IMF, broadening the consultation scope to include Lebanese civil society actors, to include even uh, more uh, other societal. <clears throat> groups like, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, syndicates, labor syndicates, professional syndicates, labor unions, et cetera. At the end of the day, these are the people who represent the biggest uh, uh, social blocks that can really drive up the pressure in order to liberate Lebanon uh, uh, and the Lebanese economy from the current chokehold that the elite have on it. So these would be, you know, a a very summarized uh, um, uh, list of, of how we are approaching this issue of how what can be done and how can we move forward and, to, and at the end of the day really tell people that what has happened is terrible but this is not just this is not necessarily the end of the road what has happened is a choice and is not a fate and people if they see that this is a choice and reclaim it, their their agency can really move things around uh i don't know if sam has anything to add on this point
2: yeah i mean mainly just that you know that the, it's the, the lebanese public for whom uh lebanon's imf talks matter the most uh and then who have been you know mostly kept in the dark on this um so i think that i mean hopefully uh this report will have uh, a number of audiences but i mean certainly uh, the main one that we had in mind was a, uh, was a lebanese readership so they can at least know right what's happening um i didn't know before you know before we did this work uh and then not everything that we found out was necessarily, uh, encouraging, but, uh, you know, it was really edifying. Uh, it was useful. And, uh, and so people should know, right. So, I mean, at least they can, hopefully, uh, they can have a say in, uh, in what's next for the country.
0: Yeah. I mean, this, this is, uh, th- this is the goal, right? The goal is to change Ter- to change terrible realities into something better uh and you know when when we talked about this work you know one of the things that always comes up is you know what does accountability really mean like the, you know how do how do we take knowledge of of wrongdoing by powerful actors and and tra- and, and and translate that into consequential changes in in uh, toxic realities um and that's something that that we work on but i really i really take a lot of uh momentum and actually some optimism from this work and and from the 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 points you two just made especially the way uh Sammy uh sort of traced a path from knowledge to to accountability because look ultimately i mean uh uh a case like Riyad Salame this guy just celebrated 30 years in, in this crook Riyad Salama celebrated 30 years in April as governor of Lebanon central bank. He's a crook, but he's, he's a crook's crook. Um, he's not a, he's not a, he's not a crook, uh, a freelance crook doing his own crookery. He is the banker of Lebanon's ruling class. And he got to keep that job for 30 plus years, uh, because he was serving everybody's interests. Uh, and now, uh, he's going to retire as an international fugitive. He's not going to get to go and enjoy his, uh, uh, properties in France, uh, that he bought with stolen money. Um, and that is the beginning of accountability. And in any case where we've gone from like a, an unaccountable mob, uh, to something like governance, uh, it, it, it happens after long, long, slow, tedious efforts that finally reach a critical mass and things change. So it might seem like, uh, it might seem dispiriting to think about, 30 plus years since the end of the civil war and, and all these uh, uh, folks running amok. Uh, but it's possible that they will be held to account. And when it finally comes to pass, it'll be because of an accumulation of efforts, including uh, the kind of research you did here. So thank you both uh, for coming on the podcast. I've been talking with Sammy Zureb, uh, the research manager at the policy initiative, uh, one of Lebanon's best uh, uh, activist think tanks and Sam Heller, a fellow at Century International. You can read their work at the Policy Institute's website and at the Century Foundation's website tcf.org. Uh it's a pretty stupendous uh piece of work. Uh take a look, read it, share it um and uh and most of all uh share that um that sense that Sammy Uh, Zureb talked about, uh, that people do and can have agency uh, over dissipate-seeming disasters like uh, Lebanon's economic crisis. Uh, So Sam uh, and Sammy, thank you so much for coming on Order from Ashes.
1: Thanks. Thank you very much.
0: Uh, I'm Thanasi Kambanis. Until next time. The Order from Ashes podcast has been brought to you by Century International. Our work builds on more than 100 years of commitment to international peace, security, and governance at the Century Foundation. We are independent, critical, and progressive. For more information about Century International's work, please visit tcf.org or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We depend on audience feedback to reach new listeners. If you like what you hear, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts.